0: Verse 7, there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. Verse 8, and suddenly they, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore, save Jesus only with them. And the scripture says, and as they came down from the mountain, as they came down from the mountain, the Lord uh, charged them and that they were not to tell anybody as they came down from the mountain. And, of course, they came down with some questions about what, what does it mean, the resurrection from the dead? What, 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 what are we talking about? And so as I thought about where we have been, and I thought about last Thursday night, and I thought about some things, well, we have been on the mountain, haven't we? And we've seen great and marvelous things. But the Scripture says as they came down from the mountain, in other words, that's not where the ministry was. The ministry was in the valley. And so they had to come, even the Lord Jesus had to come down off the mountain and back into the valley where the people abode. And so with the, helps of the, Lord, uh, with the help of the Lord, then I, I'd like to look at the thought, uh, as they came down from the mountain with a subtitle of Glimpses of Glory, all right, Glimpses of Glory, let's bow our heads together. Father, again, we say thank you for your love, mercy, and grace Help us, Lord, empower us, give us what we need for the hour, and we'll give you the glory in Christ's name, amen and amen. Thank you very much, and please be seated. I want to focus, first of all, about the people that we're going to find in this passage. This is the transfiguration, and I want to focus on the people of this, or people at this transfiguration. Look what the Bible says in verse number two, it says, and after... Notice the phrase, see the phrase, and after six days, after what? When you see a time mark like that, it's always good to go back and see what they're talking about. So there was a a mark in time made, and then six days from that mark, okay, what happened before that? Well, in Matthew, there's a chapter division between what the Lord said and what took place on the mountain, but in Mark, there's not. In Mark chapter 9, verse 1, and he said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that there be some of them that stand here, which shall not taste of death, till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. Now, a lot of people took it that that meant that the kingdom of God was coming in their lifetime, and that's what they held on to. And they believed that. They believed in the imminent return of the Lord. Well, that's what we're to believe. We're to believe in the imminent return of the Lord. So I said, well, that didn't happen, preacher. Well, actually it did. It happened in verse 2. They got to see the kingdom of God in, if I can say it this way, in miniature form. They actually got to see the kingdom of God in verse number 2. Who was at that, who was at that event? The Bible says, and after six days, Jesus. He's the first one that's mentioned, and he's the last one standing when, when everybody's come and gone, and so uh, the Savior was there, uh, hallelujah, and can I say this? Hey, that makes all the difference when the Savior shows up. You can set the table, and you can do all, you can have everything just right, and, and you can do everything, but until this, the guest of honor comes, it's, it's in vain until he shows up, and thank God he did show up repeatedly again and again and again. And so after six days, Jesus. then uh, look at the people at Transfiguration, Transfiguration. Look at the saints. The Bible says he taketh with him Peter and James and John. Peter and James and John. And so he took with him his what we call his inner or inner circle. Peter, James and John, they're going to be the ones that go a little further in the garden and going to pray with him. We're going to see Peter, James, and John, this trio that he's going to use them. There, there are 12 disciples, but these three tend to stand out, Peter, James, and John. And it's interesting that each of them, Peter, James, and John, uh, had a part, of course, so, so much of a part, in the, the life uh, of the Lord Jesus and in the Gospels. And I, I thought about this, that why would you take why would you take him up there? Why, how come the Lord decision to go up there by himself and take care of this? Why did, he ha- why did he bother to take anybody? Because it looks like it's one of those times that Peter opened his mouth and inserted his foot. He seems to be talking out of school and out of turn, and uh, Peter's famous for that. And so as a result of that, why, why even take him? Why, why did you do that, Lord? Well, This is not original, but I, I I like it. One author said this. He said, the Savior is fixing to be arrested. He's fixing to be tried. He's fixing to be crucified. He's fixing to be put to death. And the disciples need to know that the only reason that this is occurring is because the Savior's allowing it to. that the Savior was from another world and that his power, he could have easily had changed the situation. So anything that's coming, all the darkness that's coming, and it's coming, by the way. Dark days are coming, Brother Rain said. And those dark days that we're talking about were overshadowed by the fact they'd been up on the mountain. They had been on the mountain and they had seen things that no man had ever seen before. I mean, we 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 talk about what a big deal it is for Moses to be uh, on the mount and for him to be in the cleft of the rock, and it was a big deal. It was a great big deal. But I want you to understand, <laughs> they got to see more than that. I mean, they got to see Moses. They got to see. Mo- they got to see Elijah, and they got to see the glorified Son of God. What an event! Never been anything like this. This is, this is far and above and beyond. Moses was up there by himself. Now the elders went to the foot of the mountain and they all got to see a whole lot. I mean, but boy, Moses was the one that got everything. I mean, he's the one on the top of the mountain. Well, he's back for this event and uh, he sees it. And, and so uh, we see the saints. And then I want you to look in the latter part of verse number two. I want you to see the seclusion The Bible says he leadeth them up into a high mountain apart by themselves. A high mountain apart by themselves. There's a whole lot that could be said in this. I'll just try to give you some some simple things. He wanted them to be away from the climate. How's that, preacher? Well, everywhere they had walked had been dusty and dry and hot but it's going to be a time of refreshing upon the mountain. So how do you know? Because Mount Hermon's over 10,000 feet high. Mount Hermon, if you're standing at the Sea of Galilee, if it's a clear day, you can see Mount Hermon in the distance. And even in the summertime, Hermon's got snow on top of it. And the scripture says, high and high mountain apart by themselves. I feel like that they probably went to the top. And they could look off and see in every direction. And so uh, I want you to understand that just, just, uh, just near there where they're at, there's the old uh, border city of Dan. You ever heard people talk about it from Dan to Beersheba? Well, Dan is the further city to the north. It's the northern boundary of Israel. Beersheba is there at the Negev Desert. Uh, it's, it's a town parallel to where uh, Samuel started his hike and went further south. And so from Dan to Beersheba encompassed the lands that were inherited and were given by, the, by Moses to the children of Israel. And so the old ancient city of Dan would lie just you can look at it. You can see it right there. As a matter of fact, at night you'd be able to see uh, Caesarea Philippi. It's just, it's just right there. You can see it. And so uh, at 10,000 feet, so to give you an idea, Pisgah's 58, is that right? 58, something like that. Uh, Mitchell is the highest mountain east of the Rockies. It's what 66, is that right? Imagine 10,000 feet. You'd have to go to the go to the Rockies to find anything that high around here. There's there's not anything that high. Uh, Denver's the mile high city at 7,000 or at 5,000 feet. 5,000 feet. So you're talking about twice as high as Denver. You're talking about a, a very, very high mountain. Uh, so I'm talking about a complete change of, uh, of climate. But it, it was away from the climate. It was away from the crowd. The Bible says that he took them up in that place apart, and then he uses the phrase, by themselves. Uh, I know that it was, it was something the Lord did on routine. He, he, would, he, would, he would get along, or he would bring the disciples out from the crowd. They didn't stay in that all the time. And so away from the climate, away from the crowd. But then I want to say this, away from the carnal. So there's something to be said about the mountain that he chose. It's the furthest that he ever traveled north as far as we know. Caesarea Philippi was a border town. Caesarea Philippi was more Greek than Jewish. Jewish. So in other words, they stood there on the preface that was pretty much the monument that separated the the world of the Jew from the world of the Gentile. And this is where they stand. Do you remember when he made that jaunt north and he went out to the the sea and, and he found that woman with faith about the crumbs from the table, remember that? And he was so thrilled about it. He circled back around and he came inland there And he came through and he did a miracle. He did another feeding of the, of the, of the 3,000 in this area, just in the, in the shadow of this mountain. And many of them might have been Gentile. We don't know, but they could have been. In other words, I believe it's, it was a foreshadow coming up on top of this mountain. It was a foreshadow that uh, it was away from the... He, he had not found faith in, in very little faith. He had found very little faith in Israel to the point that he was thrilled that he found faith among that uh, uh, Syrophoenician woman. He was thrilled. Right. It refreshed his soul that he found faith in her. And she said, uh, thou son of David. Well, she had no claim to that. And uh, he said, it's not me to give the children's bread. She said, yea, Lord. But it, it she agreed with Call him Lord, yea, Lord. But even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She put herself as a dog. And he said, I've not found faith like that. No, not even in Israel. I've not found faith like that. Oh, happy day. And it refreshed the soul of the Savior. Well, they're back there. They're in this place. They're up on this mountain. And it's the turning point or 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 the dividing point between the Jewish world and the Gentile world. Away from the carnal. And the Bible says he was transfigured. So not only was there uh, the the Savior, the saints, the seclusion, but now the shining. The Bible says transfigured before them. It's a Greek word that you all know. Uh, We pronounce it a little bit differently, but see if you can pick it up. Metamorpho. Anybody recognize that? What does a butterfly do when it goes in its cocoon? as a a caterpillar, and it comes out with wings as a butterfly. What's that called? Metamorphosis. Is that right? That's the word. You're speaking Greek when you say that. That's the actual Greek word when you say that phrase. And that's that's what interests me. And what it means is to change form or appearance. And so, by the way, that word is also used about the change that a believer goes through when we get saved. It's, it's used about us. That we get transfigured. That's a big word. That's a big thing, isn't it? I mean, sometimes we act like worms when we ought to be acting like butterflies, don't we? Sure is the world. The Bible says he was transfigured before them and that his raiment became shining, shining, exceeding white as snow. So no fuller on earth can white them. A fuller was someone who. Was a launderer, and the fullers used a variety of things to make things white. They used alkaline, they used other things, like a kind of like a bleach, almost like a, the opposite of an acid. They would use alkaline uh, to make things white, and they would use a variety of things, trying to get stuff white. But the scripture says there never been no white like it was on the white today. He said, White is snow. So imagine this they're possibly up in the snow. And whether it's snow where they're standing or not, there's snow around. They've seen snow on the mountain. And it would be fitting if there's snow laying around because the Bible compares what Jesus looked like to that white snow. And he said this, whiter, exceeding white, white as snow, exceeding white as snow, more than snow. It's that word again, hyper, bigger, better, exceeding abundantly more, more white than as snow so as no fuller on earth can give them. And so his his whiteness and his his purity, uh, let me see if I can say it this way. His garment was revealing his character. His garments had been concealing who he was. He just looked like any other man. But suddenly his garments revealed who he was. Suddenly his garments, uh, they were a reflection of his stainless character. The robe without became a reflection of the the man, of the God-man within. And it became whiter than snow. So why did it put your eyes out just about? I have had multiple people tell me that had either near-death experiences or have had other things, they said that there is a light that is so white that it's undescribable. There's nothing on earth to compare it to. And that's not just one or two. You can go back and, and if you find people, and by the way, that's people that's getting ready to cross. They describe it. People who almost crossed describe it. And the Bible confirms it. I don't have no problem believing it, because the Bible tells us. And so, hey, I'm talking about you know, when these LED lights first came out, I was impressed with how white they were. If you look at a regular light and look at an LED light, boy, them LED lights are, are they're white. I mean, they're white, white. It's amazing how white they are. Well, uh, look, at, look in here. Look, look, at, the, look at that white. Uh, th- those these are not LEDs by the way. There's a fluorescence, but look at those white fluorescents. Now look at those yellow chandelier lights. These fan lights. See the difference? Look at the difference between that. That's a big difference. Well, I want you to understand. There, there's temperature, color, that that, that that you can adjust deliberately. But that's that's what I'm talking about. The de- the deliberate. You know, we used to have a, we used to have a Samoid dog, and we raised Samoids for a little while. Samoyeds are a, are. A, Supposedly a white dog. They're kind of, I guess, kind of like a, 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 a uh, Alaskan type dog. Uh, I think they, they I think maybe they use them to mush with some. They're used to, but Samoids are white. Well, I thought I had a white dog till it snowed, and I found out I had a beige dog. I used to have a white car. At least I thought it was white till it snowed. It was a beige car. It wasn't white at all. Compared to the snow, it was beige. Well, can I say the whitest we can get on this earth is beige in comparison to what went on here in this place. And so we see the shining, but then we see the servants. We're talking about the people there on the mount. Look what the Bible says in verse 4, and there appeared unto them Elias, which is Elijah. So I said, why do they spell it different? It's the transliteration between Hebrew and Greek, and that's what it's, it, when you assign the, the, the value, it comes out like that. It's not, a, it's not a problem. It's the same person. Elias, the Bible says, with Moses, and who and they were talking with Jesus. So let's see if we can get a count now who's up there. Peter, James, and John, the Lord Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. There are six on the mountain. Now, Moses represented the law. No doubt. Moses represents the law. Elijah represented the prophets. And primarily, the law and the prophets, the rest of the Old Testament, is, is considered the history. And you would have poetical and other things. But, but if you take the law and the prophets, what was it that uh, what was it Abraham uh, said to the rich man? What did he say that they had for his brothers? What was the remedy for his brothers? What did he tell him he had? They have the law and the prophets. Is that what he told them? It's all they needed, the law and the prophets. And so, uh, you know, uh, both of these men, Moses and Elijah, they were were, were men of might. They were men of miracles. Moses, of course, died on Pisgah. Uh, He represents, by the way, the resurrected saints at the rapture. You see, Moses is going to get up. He's got another chapter to fulfill. So I said, oh, you've been dead a long time. I know, but he's going to get up. Matter of fact, devil don't know where he's at. I personally believe he's not been corrupted. I don't think he's been corrupted. I think he's hid over somewhere. I think God's going to start his heart back, and he's going to step out in the tribulation. I believe he's one of them. And then Elijah, he left here in a fiery chariot. I believe he's coming back. I believe he represents the raptured saints. He didn't have to die. Somebody said, well, it's supposed to be Enoch and Elijah. I I don't believe that. I believe this is them right here. I believe the two witnesses are Moses and Elijah. So I believe it is. And he represents those raptured saints caught up alive into heaven. I believe that's going to take place in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. And so we see the servants that are here on the mountain, Elias and Moses, uh, they were talking with Jesus. So there is the people on the Mount of Transfiguration. But secondly, I think about the presumption at the Mount of Transfiguration. Look in verse number five. Here we go. And Peter answered. Now, first of all, do you see anywhere in your Bible where anybody's talking to Peter? But he says he answered. Nobody asked him anything. But he answered anyway. At a time that he really should have been a-listening, he was a talking. and a time when he should have been a talking in the garden, when they came to he was quiet. He was notorious for that. and a time when he should have spoke up there warming by the enemy's fire, he didn't. So he was bad to talk when he wasn't supposed to and bad not to talk when he was supposed to. He had a bad habit of that. Peter had a response. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, that's a, first, that's a problem right there, master. That's, that's a little, I mean, master, I mean, I mean that's a, that's a it, it's not a slang, it's not a cut. But you would call him master and he's turned, his robes are turned white and his face is shining and he's on the mount ma- and the, to call him master, wait a minute, that's just a little bit beneath him. Is you know what I'm saying? That's like saying, Rabbi, just a little beneath our situation here, okay? I mean, he should at least have said, Lord. Uh, But he said this, it is good for us to be here. Well, listen, I get it. (laughs) I do get it. I wish the other night when the power of God fell through it, I wish we could have just soaked in that a while. I wish that we could have... I wish we could have pulled our shoes off and soaked our feet in that river that run through here. Woo! I, oh, my soul in the morning. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, I, Simon, I get it. I do get it. I, I, woo! Let's camp out here, Lord. He wanted to start a building project. Let us make three tabernacles. That was his resolve. One for thee, one for Moses, one for Elias. His response is resolve. But I'm glad Mark tells us this. Matthew doesn't mention it, but Mark does. For he whist not what to say. In other words, he was one of these that talked when he got nervous. He's one of those that you couldn't get him to hush when he he got upset or when he got nervous. And by the way, that is a, some people are like that. I have, for 25 years, I've done death notifications and critical incident notifications and all sorts of situations with people. And there are some that when you tell them bad news, they get upset, they go to talking, and, and, and they don't even want to hear what else you've got to say. They just they just talk. And, and they just talk. And it's their, it's their release. It's how they do things. Others, they'll clam up on you. And you can't get nothing out of them. They ain't going to say nothing. I mean, once you tell them the bad news, it's over. You ain't talking to them no more. I mean, you can't even get any details, what's wise or whatever. You just can't get nothing out of them. They just hush. They shut down. I've had that happen many times. But here, he he, he says all this stuff because he don't know what to say. But I want you to notice what the scripture says there in that latter part of verse 6. For they were sore... Afraid. The word afraid right here it carries with it the idea a violent fright. A violent fright. A mountain term would be he is scared to death. That's a mountain term for what took place right there. That would fit in that, but he is scared to death. And here's what's interesting the only other place that occurs in your Bible. Is in the book of Hebrews, chapter twelve, and in verse number twenty-one, and guess what it's about? It's what happened with Moses, the terror that Moses felt on Sinai. Uses the same word. When Moses come, when God came upon Moses and put His hand over him in the cleft, it's like to scare Moses to death. A violent fright, a violent terror. Violent meaning it involves some motion. I mean, it's possible his knees were knocking, literally. It's it's possible that his hands were jerking. It's possible that their teeth were chattering. All of those things are involuntary movement when someone is scared beyond their limit. And all of those things could have been going on. And this is what set up. So in other words, I'm going to take up for him just a little bit. He's scared to death. But it's interesting, the other two never uttered a word, but Simon did. And so he, he says some things here that, and that's why I call it the presumption at the transfiguration. He, he, he says some things that, and that, that probably ought not been said. I mean, it wasn't the time. He should have been listening. You see, because Matthew says that they were talking to him about his demise, talking to him about his death. They were talking about all of those things. They were, they were going over those things together. And so he should have been listening. If he'd been listening on the mountain, he wouldn't have had questions going down the mountain. You agree with that? Because he didn't know what they was talking about, going down the mountain. But hey, it was explained, if he'd been listening, instead of starting a building program, instead of drawing blueprints, if he'd been listening, he'd have picked up on what the future was. And you know, I got to think about this. It's very possible that he might not have denied Christ three times. Had he got a big picture of, had he got a better understanding of what was coming, it's possible he might have stuck around. It's possible. Just saying, I don't know. But this one thing I do know. Boy, when God gives you time on the mountain. And when God shows up on the top of the mountain, it is one of those things that it'll mark your life. I mean, there are not that many mountaintops in life. There's only a few times. That you'll experience anything exactly like that. And by the way, when I say exactly like that, to that extent, you'll never experience anything exactly like that. There is no such thing. God don't do two things. He has never made two snowflakes alike, and so he, does, he never has to. He never does anything exactly alike. He doesn't have to. But I thank God for what he does do, when he does do it. So there's the presumption at the transfiguration. But then there is a pronouncement at the transfiguration in verse number 7. They're at the mountain, on the Mount of Transfiguration. So, let's get them again. Peter, James, and John. Moses, Elijah, and Christ. Six is the number of man, right? Enter the seventh person to the mountaintop. God the Father. In the form of a cloud, and that's the number of completion. And there was, the Bible says, just it was. It wasn't they saw it coming and it slowed. No, there just was. There was a sudden cloud. And the Bible says a cloud. It wasn't one of many clouds. It was a cloud, a, a specific cloud. There was a cloud, so it apparently surrounded them. It apparently engulfed them just Suddenly, they're in a cloud, and the Bible says overshadowed them. So what I'm thinking overshadowed means that they they couldn't see nothing. They couldn't see anything, including the fact that Moses and Elijah are going to be concealed in this cloud, and when the cloud leaves, Moses and Elijah are gone. So that cloud was a means of them leaving, just like the cloud's going to be the means of us leaving. We're getting out of here in a cloud, those that leave here uh, in the rapture, like, uh, like Elijah did. And the Bible says it was a visible cloud. It was a Shekinah glory cloud, by the way, a visible cloud. Somebody said the other day, and, and somebody actually said, Preacher, did you, did you see it get foggy in here? And I said, no, I couldn't see nothing. I don't think I had my eyes open. I, 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 but I've, I've heard old timers talking about that. I have, and I don't know what I can't explain it. But I've heard old timers talk about it. It was getting foggy. I've heard people. I've heard people talk about that. And there's people said that that, that it got foggy the other night. I I I, I don't know. I, I, all I know is that uh, uh, I, I'm I'm pretty satisfied. A cloud descended, Abraham. So there's a visible cloud, but there's the voice from a cloud. And the Bible says that a voice came out of the cloud, saying, "This." is my beloved son, and then it says this, hear him. So a voice come out of the cloud and showing respect for Christ, a voice come out of the cloud showing the relationship with Christ, my beloved son, and a voice come out of the cloud showing our requirement toward Christ, Hear ye him. Hear him. So, you see, there had been a voice in Mark 1.11 at his baptism. Remember when they said they thought it thundered? There had been a voice. There will yet be a voice in John 12, 28. There, uh, when uh, when he was rejected by Israel, and they were talking about the, 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 the Gentiles would respond. There was an audible voice heard there, but God does things in threes typically, and so the, the middle one is found here, number two. The third one is that one in John 12, but the, the middle one is found right here. When the Lord spoke out of the cloud and said, this is my beloved son, hear him. And so there was a voice. Somebody said an audible voice, sounded like it was, it was an audible voice. Preacher, have you ever heard an audible voice of the Lord? I had never have. I've never heard an audible voice. And somebody asked me one time, said, I said, Well, I heard from the Lord, and the Lord said such and such. They'd said, Do you hear an audible voice? And my answer was, No, it's much clearer than that. Right. An audible voice, I might misunderstand what you say between here and there. I'm bad. I'm bad. I, 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 that's where I misunderstand a lot of what people say. I can hear the sound, I just can't distinguish what it says. This ear still gives me trouble. I've got an ear, nose, and throat appointment. I'm afraid I've done permanent damage to it. So I'm having worse time with it than ever. But I might misunderstand what somebody says to me if they speak to me verbally. But can I tell you that when God speaks to your soul, when God speaks to your spirit, there is no mistaking that one. No mistaking. Somebody said, God talked to you rarely. Boy, it's a welcome thing when he does. Problem is, sometimes you don't tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> and I find that the Lord speaks to me in short phrases. He, he, he says a minimal amount, but it's clear. And I can, I mean, I, I remember. I mean, I can remember when the Lord has spoke to me. So I said, well, you know, God speaks to you through your word and all that. No, I'm talking about when, when I, I mean, is in the response to a prayer, God will, just put, put a phrase on your heart, boom, and you know it's the answer that you've been looking for. It's not always the one you want, but it's the one you've been looking for. And so we, we see this: what took place on this mountain, on the top of the mountain, uh, the people up there. And then uh, there is the presumption that took place up there. Then there's the pronouncement from, from God the Father up there. But then there's a postscript. And the postscript begins in verse number 8. There's a sudden change. The Bible says, and suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man anymore. No man. And then it says, save Jesus with only with themselves. Think of this. Why do you need Moses? He was the giver of the law. Still standing in their presence was the one who fulfilled the law. Moses' job's done. You don't need him. His job's done. Yeah, but what about Elijah? Well, Elijah was the, the, the main prophet of the Old Testament, but the Lord Jesus was the subject of all those prophecies. All Elijah did was tell people about him. Here he stands. We don't need Moses and Elijah when we got the one who was all the prophecies were about, the one who fulfilled all the law. Why would we need them? They were just foretelling about him. Hey, why would we need all them when we got him? Hallelujah. We got him. And I think that's the emphasis. And I want you to understand that some say that this was a rebuke to Simon Peter, and and I'm not going to. I'm not going to argue with that, but the bottom line was that they got to see it, they got to hear it, they got to witness it in lieu of what was coming and in lieu of what was ahead. And the Bible says, and as they came down from the mountain, as they came down from the mountain, they were told not to tell nobody till after he was risen. That was the charge. But I thought about this, and really I'm just now getting, I just, I, and, I, and the message will be shorter than the, than the, than the wind-up to it. Why can't we stay on the mountaintop, preacher? Why can't we stay on the mountaintop? Well, uh, there, there's, there's work as a witness to be performed. Think of Moses. Did you know Moses' name is found in your Bible 848 times? He is a central character now. And did you know that the witness that Moses had about that part in that Red Sea? I mean, that's carried into the New Testament. It was carried into, I mean, the heathen knew about it. The people of Jericho knew about it, for crying out loud. They knew about it. It is a huge, huge thing. And it testifies even today. It testifies. And so there was the work of witnessing to be performed. There's Moses. Can I say that's why we don't step on a mountaintop? Because there's a work of witnessing to be performed. Now, there's people down in the valleys that didn't get to go on a mountain. And they need to hear about the transformed one. They need to hear about the shining one. They need to hear about the Savior in all of his glory. Amen? Amen? If, and I, I didn't write it down, more people Heard this share-a-thon than any other in history. Our previous record was 12 terabytes. We have now ellipsed that. Uh, I don't have the exact number. What's the exact number, Daniel? 14 point something something terabytes. That's the biggest audience in history. 14.31 terabytes. A terabyte is a half million pages of documents. If it was in document form, you can transmit a half million pages in one terabyte. And we had 14.31 terabytes. You imagine that? Hard to imagine, isn't it? Hard to imagine that much time, that many people. Can I say that the reason we can't step on the mountaintop because... There's still witness and there's still a work to do. There's still there's to be a witness and, and as was performed by Moses. But I would also say that there's also a word of warning to be proclaimed. You see, Malachi closed out the Old Testament by saying in Malachi 4:5, behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Well, can I say it this way? Elijah's fixing to step out. As Soon as we go up, shortly thereafter, just a few months after we go up, he's coming down. He's coming back. But when he comes back, you're not going to be happy when he comes back. When he starts pouring out them vials and unfolding those curses, I'm telling you, folks. Moses and Elijah both, they're a part of that. They're going to be blamed for all the wicked things that happen on earth, but they're actually coming from God Almighty. So I would just say this way, there's a word of warning to proclaim. In other words, yeah, there's a word as a witness, a work as a witness to be performed, but there's also a word of warning to be proclaimed. In other words, uh, I know that the goodness of God leadeth men to repentance, but I want people to understand they're on borrowed time. They're on short time. And just as Elijah left here, we're getting ready to leave here. And just as, just as Elijah, my friend, I mean, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. It was the predecessor of the Lord coming the first time. I want you to understand that sign of all the people leaving as Elijah left here. I, that's going to signal the end times. And Elijah's coming back. But you don't want to be here for that. You want to be gone. You don't want to be here for that. Ain't nobody wants to be here for that, including the Jewish nation. You don't want to be here for that. But then, can I say, just as there is a work, a work of a witness to be performed like Moses and a, a word of warning to be proclaimed like Elijah, there is also a world to win. Amen. There's also a world to win by his power, by his propitiation. There is a world to win, and that's what the Savior was interested in. That was his purpose. That's what he had in mind. He wanted to win a world, as many as would come unto him. The Bible says, if they come unto him, he would in no wise cast out. Matter of fact, he declared, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We know some will perish, and we know many have perished but they don't have to. Do you understand this like Boaz? Did you know that Boaz redeemed all that was Malon's and Chilion's? You ever thought about that? What's a Calvinist gonna do with that? That little Moabitus girl's never heard from again. But she, redemption was hers. She could have lived the same life that Ruth lived, but she chose to go back. But Ruth, on the other hand, chose to accept that. And and the kinsman redeemer redeemed everything she had lost, everything her husband had lost, everything his daddy had lost, everything his brother had lost. Got it all back. He had the means. (laughs) He had the motive. (laughs) I mean, he had the method. He he went through everything perfectly, and he redeemed it all back, and everybody said, Yay and Amen. What if it had been different? What if it had been a different? We wouldn't have the book of Ruth. We might have had the Ruth, book of Orpha. But it's not the book of Orpha, is it? Why? She turned back. You know why it's the book of Ruth? Because she accepted that redemption, hallelujah, from the kinsman redeemer. Hallelujah. So there is a world to win. There is a world to win, and that's. That's a, that, that, that's a picture of Christ Jesus. Preacher, why can't we stay on the mountaintop? Well, for one thing, our bodies can't take it. <laughs> Somebody said, Preacher, how are you so tired? All you did is sit there all week. <sighs> well, yeah, I guess. But I'm just going to tell you, in my spirit, I was a jumping up and down. You heard about that little boy. And uh, his mama told him to go sit in the corner. And he went and sat in the corner. He had gritted his teeth and he had a mad face. She walked by. She said, what are you doing? He said, well, he said, I might be sitting down, but inside me, I'm a standing up. Inside me, I'm a standing up. I might have been sitting there this past week, but inside of me, I was running laps, amen? Inside of me, I was jumping up and down. Inside of me, I'm telling you the truth, I was getting blessed like no man knows. I'm glad to report to you that we can't stay on the mountaintop, but boy, aren't they good when they come. We around here get to get on the mountaintops of the Blue Ridge and look off on a regular basis if we want to. Within 15, 20 minutes, we can get to a peak we own one, as a matter of fact, and we can look off and see one of the most beautiful mountain ranges there, there is. Don't take long. Don't have to go far, but you realize those people from the flatland they ain't never seen the top of a mountain, so it is with folks. Did you realize that people have been saved all their lives, just as saved as me and you? They ain't never been nothing like we got in. I can't imagine it, but they hadn't. And how do you explain to them what it tastes like? How do you explain what something tastes like if you ain't never tasted it? How do you explain that? You have to compare it to something. Well, how do you explain it? So it is. There's people that's, they don't know what they're missing because they ain't never had none because they ain't never been in it. There's a boy sitting back there in a plaid shirt. He ain't never been nothing like that. He's supposed to have been back at college last week about this time. He's still here, hallelujah. He's going to be AWOL, sure as the world. They're going to get him. But he just don't want to go. I'm just going to tell you, he just don't want to leave. And I get it, happy day. I get it. And I had old saints. I'm talking about saints that's been in the glory. And they said, preacher, we've been around, and we've seen a lot. I said, we ain't never seen nothing beat that. We ain't never seen nothing to beat that, preacher. I said, yeah. Just a few seconds in his presence. it will help you down the road. The Bible says, and with that, the scripture says, and, and, and with that, they, the Bible says that they, that they, and as they came down from the mountain, as they came down from the mountain, by the way, there's gonna be another mount, not near as high, not near as secluded, Mount Calvary and I'll just say this remember that Mount Calvary followed Mount Hebron okay and so understand what I'm saying that you know there's a real devil but I'm glad we can face tomorrow knowing what God has already done for us hallelujah And that in his glory, he's permitted whatever comes our way for our good and for his glory. Let's bow our heads together.